The Athletic. The race is on, and with Bridgestone entering the fray for Formula One single tyre supply, is it time for a change or should Pirelli stay on? And if there's so much interest, why not reintroduce tyre competition to spice up the show on track? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Glenn Freeman. Well, Scott, always you're happy to talk about tyres, so this is always the most popular topic there is in Formula One, but a very important one. Yeah, absolutely. I um. I, we did a video um, that I think by the time people listen to this, I think will have come out or will be about to to come out. And when um, when I was writing the script for that, I think uh, quite high up, I put that tyres aren't always the sexiest subject in F1, but they're really important. So please keep watching. Um, and that is basically myself for this podcast. I know that we uh, it's not always the most exciting when we get into the nuance of, uh, shall we say, Pirelli's characteristics in Formula One. But this is a much broader conversation, a very important one, because I don't think it's too much of an extreme to say that whether F1 gets this decision right or wrong in the short and long term it's make or break for whether F1 works isn't it? Exactly whether people like it or not the tyres are the bit that attaches the car to the ground so they're pretty significant and Glenn Freeman we've also got you here and why is Glenn here? Well because as host to bring back V10s he's very familiar with F1's last tyre war so he has some extra insight to offer there when we get into talking about that sort of thing so once again Glenn we've brought you on with a pretext for promoting Bring Back V10s. Maybe you've got a new series coming up you can shout about. If only we had a new series coming out in, by the time you hear this, less than two weeks. So that'd be good. Look out for Series 8. I reckon, by my maths, Bring Back V10s allows us to cover the last three tyre wars in F1. Uh, So yeah, plenty of experience and a really good, it gives us a really good indication of, of what it can do to to the competition good and bad um why the tire companies may like it why they may not like it and also what the teams think as well i've been looking back by chance at uh when bridgestone because obviously it's about we're talking about bridgestone quite a bit here when they first came in um in the mid 90s most of the teams didn't want a tyre war. They were perfectly happy just having Goodyear supply everybody. So it's easy to look back and say this was this golden thing that was great for F1. But people didn't feel like that at the time. And I think as we'll get into in this episode, it's F1 and its fan base remains divided now as well about if we want a tyre war to come back. Two weeks or so before Bring Back V10's returns is the perfect amount of time to work through the back catalogue. And I can say that with confidence as someone who is currently working through an enforced hiatus of the Athletics Football Clichés podcast, where I'm currently midway through early 2021. So, I Well, think- on the subject of, of clichés, I think if there was an F1 clichés, Ed would be in it now for saying the line about tyres are the bit that connects the car to the road. That's the <laughs> ultimate tyre cliché, isn't it? Well, it is. And sometimes clichés are true. So it's, uh, it's well worth saying. I'm quite I'm impressed you can catch up on podcasts in a couple of weeks though Scott I've got about 1500 on listen to podcasts in my uh, in my phone some might say I'm ill-disciplined in choosing the ones I want to listen to but there's so many good ones no I, I I think you're just colossally unreliable whereas I'm a podcast loyalist I pick one and just absolutely smash through it I'm the the podcast it's the podcast listening equivalent of binge watching something on Netflix where you think oh eight series and there are 20 episodes a series this will keep me going for a, for a few weeks and then by the end of the weekend you've watched them all 
Now, you're all right if you're one of my top five or six podcasts. It's when you get below that. And there's so many good ones out there, including some great ones from the race, which, of course, I devour the moments they're released, except for the ones I'm on. I wouldn't put myself through that, having already had to listen to myself once. But let's get on with making this particular podcast. Scott, Bridgestone obviously left F1 at the end of 2010. It's in contention for a return. Pirelli is as well. So what's the latest on this? Uh, this is basically the... The story that's been rumbling on a little bit in F1 for, for a few months now, there have been rumours for ages that Pirelli would face competition for the for the sole tyre supply for 2025 and, and, and beyond. Um, I think we'd heard Bridgestone and also um, potentially you know Goodyear be, being interested. Uh, I remember hearing it back in Bahrain, I think, testing on the first race. Um, and basically it's moved on. I believe it's cemented now as a, as as an actual tender um submission from from Bridgestone um there's certainly plenty of figures in the paddock who seem to be very excited by the prospects either those that worked with Bridgestone or drove on Bridgestone rubber in the past or have seen what Bridgestone have done in other in other categories so it seems to just be a crystallization of something that we've been waiting for really which is is Pirelli actually going to have proper competition for this um supply because for a long time it felt like F1's push for high deg tyres and the way that Pirelli was constantly getting sledged by drivers and teams for not doing a good enough job, that no one wanted to be fodder like that. No tyre supplier wanted to come into a championship to deliberately design bad tyres and then just get told how crap their product is. But now it finally seems like that tyre supply deal is something that more than one manufacturer actually wants. Yeah, and it is interesting that Bridgestone have been attracted back to Formula One because when they left at the end of 2010, one of the things they said was they'd achieved their commercial objectives. I remember at the time, I'm reaching back into my memory over a decade here, but it was something like in Europe, the the brand recognition of Bridgestone had gone from not especially high to something mad like 90% or something. So they felt they'd had sort of that saturation. So evidently a little bit of time passing and probably the popularity of Formula One has led to them reconsidering. But it's an interesting equation because obviously Pirelli has had the the slightly poison chalice, you could say, in many ways of trying to create these tyres. It's the first time that Formula One's really gone all out in having a controlled tyre that's specced to try and spice up the show. And it's had mixed results, I think it's fair to say. Now, Glenn, it would be very easy to say, yeah, Bridgestone, they're brilliant. Let's get them back in. And obviously, Bridgestone were brilliant in Formula One. But I guess it's a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? And we shouldn't perhaps underestimate what Pirelli has done, even though they've been the uh, the victim of constant complaints and criticism pretty much from the moment they had their first official test at the back end of 2010. Yeah, I feel really sorry for them that they came in. And th- this is all the responsibility of the 2010 Canadian Grand Prix, isn't it? Which was a Bridgestone race. The tyres just had a terrible reaction to the track surface that weekend. The race was crazy because it only lasted a few laps. And then Bernie Eccleston and some other decision makers in F1 decided that's what we need every weekend, just chaos. We, I think we ended up, with a, wasn't there a Toro Rosso in the lead of that race at one point? Um, so that ended up being Pirelli's brief for the following year and the years that followed. And I, I do think it was a it was a stitch up of a brief, really. I, I have a lot of sympathy for Pirelli, like you say, they've, they, they've had to work to very specific guidance or sometimes too vague guidance from F1. But F1 has all these things it wants from a tyre supplier. Pirelli's been trying to to follow those moving targets and moving goalposts. I'm not always convinced they've done a great job. I, I, I have a theory that, particularly in the beginning, I think the, the kind of the, the not very good tyres that we had 
in the early years. Yes, that was what they were being asked for. I think that might have been all that they were capable of, given their lack of experience at that level to begin with. And then we've seen them occasionally they drift into producing harder or more reliable, more predictable tyres. And everyone complains because the racing is too boring. And we must remember that with Bridgestone as well. We had one year with Bridgestone in 2010 where they had... Um, tyres that weren't in well none of the race strategy was around refueling because we had no refueling in 2010 and everyone complained that the tyres were too hard you could do an entire race distance on them I think Vettel might have done that was it Monza that year and he stopped at like the start of the final lap or something like that people complained about that so any tyre supplier can't really win here and against that F1 also can't really make up its mind what it wants from a tyre supplier so I have sympathy for Pirelli and I would have sympathy for anyone that took over if they were treated in the same way yeah that made me think of um something i something i I was wondering the other day actually when the bridgestone stuff came out which is that with pirelli that kind of complaint of its quality versus it's only doing what everyone asks it sometimes feels a bit chicken and egg um and that point that glenn made about yes it was what they were asked to do and it was their brief but it was there was definitely a feeling in f1 that it was all that they were capable of doing and I do wonder if we've got to a point now where if Pirelli has got the technology and the experience and the know-how to actually create the tyre that F1 needs, that's where this newfound factor of how heavy the cars are, how much downforce they have, how torquey they are, comes into play. And there's also the difficulty of not only have you got to deal with the weight of the cars and the laws of physics, you've got to do it across five compounds well actually there's a six compound because they've got the c noughts this year that were carried over from last year the old c1s but you've got to cover the whole season all the track characteristics on that range of tires for certain logistical reasons so it's quite a tricky one it's really difficult and going back to what scott said about in the beginning and and him sharing my doubts i went to pirelli's factory in turkey in 2010 when they were gearing up to come into f1 and they had their their big big bosses were there and by this point we already had the rumors and the speculation that f1 was going to ask for high degradation tires we put that question to pirelli in a you know i think it's a big press meeting that we had there and their bosses were saying absolutely not we're not coming into f1 to produce bad tyres. We don't want people to to see us on the international stage and associate us with tyres that fall apart. And also, we don't want to take those risks at the beginning. So that's what made me think, yes, F1 might have twisted their arm over that winter, but it also made me think that maybe Pirelli really wanted to play safe in the beginning and just couldn't because the demands of F1 even over a decade ago, were, were were incredible. The forces were incredible and they had such a short time to do it that that's perhaps all they were capable of. And really, I think they've been scrambling and pe- playing catch-up ever since. That, that performance of the tyre early on is a direct contradiction of what they said that they were coming into F1 to do, isn't it? So it does support that point that that, that was all that they were capable of because... I, I, like you say, may, maybe it was a case of F1 twisting their arm or or whatever, but... If you genuinely believe that it's te- a terrible image for your company to be associated with high degradation tyres, you probably like, I can't imagine what it would take for you to then willingly produce high degradation tyres. I mean, one of the things that I I think whether it's Pirelli or Bridgestone, and this is irrespective of how you want to play that longer term, because I know we're going to get on to Ed T's the I talking about a tyre war and and stuff like that. We'll get on to that later, but. However you structure it with a single tyre supplier, whatever the brief is, I think F1 needs a slightly broader 
uh, re-evaluation of its sporting regulations in association with the tyre use. Because to me, it seems really obvious. I'm not going to claim that this is an original idea. I know that Karun Chandok, a friend of the podcast, has been pushing this for a very long time. Um, I, I don't understand why we don't mandate the compound use in the races in that we'd use all all of the compounds. Yeah, totally agree. Part, because, because one of the factors there is it, you you don't need to waste time producing a tyre that lasts 40, 50 laps or, you know, trying to pr- produce a tyre that can do X number of laps absolutely flat out because your strategic options are going to be massively varying race to race anyway. Um, so there's a slight change there. but and, and I also think linked in with that, why... I understand the point Ed was making earlier that in terms of the current regulations and the way it works, you have to be able to produce a set of, a different set of tyres across five or six compounds. We've had a ridiculous range of compounds in the past. But for the sake of cost, sustainability and interest, why why do we have to have that many different compounds? Because if you just said, if you put it middle of the range, one end or the other you're always going to have variation within the three tyres that you nominate. And it just means that some tracks you're going to have ones that you go there knowing it's going to be a really high deg race and the tyres aren't going to... So you're going to have a two or a three stop or it's going to be interesting. Or it's at the other end of the spectrum and every single race, every stint's pushed flat out because the tyres can last. So I, when, when you've got a bunch of people mainly in f1 preaching sustainability and cost and oh how can we make things more interesting but you have a set of tire regulations that basically lock you in to teams wanting to run the slowest most conservative race possible with as few pit stops as possible and it's less sustainable because you're producing loads more tires and it's more expensive because you're developing and producing loads more tires why why is that not being reviewed as part of the longer term tire strategy for f1 I think that's a great idea. And I don't understand in this era where we're supposedly getting a more experimental F1, they want to try things with the format. That feels like a tiny change that is worth trying at at some point. And I agree with it, but I also think we need to try it to see if there are any unintended consequences. You know, we we all thought, well, we were told that high degradation tyres would create this type of racing where you one guy will try to limp on with his tyres to the finish. Someone else will dive into the pits and catch him up. I think we had that once. I remember we had it in China in the first season, Hamilton and Vettel maybe. Um, and then all the teams very quickly worked out that actually you don't just drive the tyre to the end of its life and then charge into the pits and, and, and then come back through. You drive several seconds off the pace to maintain your tyre life because that was the faster way to do it. It might be that if we say use all three compounds, something weird happens there. You might have to get into things like mandating a minimum stint length. If there is a terrible tyre that nobody wants to be on, a bunch of people will come in on lap one or come in for the last lap. So then is that being over-regulated? There's all these things you've got to worry about. But on, on the subject of Bridgestone and all the things we've talked about there, I cannot see Bridgestone wanting to come back to make rubbish tyres or, or to make tyres that we perceived as rubbish. I, I'm not saying they'll come in and produce you know bricks that you can, you can do the entire race on, but <laughs> Bridgestone are not going to come in and get messed around the way Pirelli have because any additional exposure they might now want having been out of f1 for so long i don't think that's worth it to a company like them and i'm surprised pirelli have put up with it for as long as they have yeah bridgestone when they've talked about f1 very occasionally over the past 10 plus years since they left have 
alluded to that fact. Perhaps they've just realised that it's become such a big talking point. Everyone knows that they have to be engineered to be a certain way. But Michelin, for example, every now and again, someone from Michelin pops up and says, well, no, we won't do it while it's these because we want to showcase our products and we don't think it's compatible with that. Pirelli, I think, have always seen it very much as a commercial thing and it's all about getting the brand name out there, etc. And I don't think they see a super connection between how the F1 tyres behave and what people regard on the on the road tyre, whether that's accurate or not, is a, another question. The really interesting thing, I think, is it's challenging to make spec tyres for Formula 1. I'd be interested to see Bridgestone to have a go at it, to see if they could do what Pirelli seems to have struggled to do, which is achieve the objectives through outright tyre wear. Obviously, we talk about degradation and wear. When we talk about degradation, normally we're talking about thermal degradation. So that's about the amount of temperature you're putting through the tyres, etc., and it can no longer do what it wants to do, and you get that kind of chemical drop-off. That's normally the problem. The wear is when you're physically running, wearing away the compound. And if you remember early on, Pirelli did try to do quite a bit with wear. But I remember like the Malaysian Grand Prix really early in 2011. If you look back at the footage of that race the offline it's completely covered in marbles i remember speaking to paul de Resta after the race and he was furious because basically he'd been hit like on the knuckle by a, a big bit of uh, of marble that had come off the tire so you had tram lines didn't you there was yeah, it yeah. was like it was like a drying out racetrack where you had to stay in the tram lines and the rest of it was undrivable yeah exactly and i think that was partly as a consequence of them attempting to to make the tires wear in a certain way but wear doesn't necessarily work as a nice even like this bit of the tyre is worn down, you will get chunks coming off it. Can that be done differently? I don't know. Bridgestone, I do know when they're in F1, they, they had a lot of very cutting-edge technology. I remember having lengthy conversations with people about the sort of surface of the tyre nanotechnology they were using and that kind of thing. So maybe they've got some proprietary stuff that could help that. But I think it's important fundamentally, though, coming back to that point of the the difficulty of doing it. And it's a very interesting thing because obviously the tender will have a number of different criteria in it. You'll have to show your uh, your technical expertise, your resources. We'll throw this, this and this at it. I don't think there's any problem with Bridgestone on, on that regard. And obviously we know Pirelli can do it. And then there's the sustainability element because obviously F1's working towards net zero. That's a big part of this. Although this tender covers 25 to 27 with an option for 28, they still are on that glide path. So that's part of it. There'll be a commercial aspect as well, which won't be perhaps talked about quite as much but that's part of it what actually works for f1 economically and you know there's a there's a reason why you see pirelli trackside signage and that kind of thing uh, on top of uh, on the cars and then of course separate to that once you have a tire supply you've then got the, the infamous target letters that are produced um which you do you see that they're not that long but they're just the technical objectives what you're trying to achieve and they'll normally be sort of ranked in an, in order if you want this 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 and this and that's what they're working to that comes once you've got the tender so i think the key thing is for formula one to know exactly what it wants out of the tires and a few directions have been talked about here and i don't know i'm actually very split between pirelli has by and large done a a decent job for formula one with and actually perhaps they they deserve the continuity for their support of it combined with actually i'd quite like to see what another tire company in bridgestone could do if they were to throw themselves at the problem perhaps they'd have a different way to come at it a different approach because the one thing i do know about pirelli is on this whole argument of can they make tyres good enough, there's definitely technology they've put into the tyres, things in the tyres that do actually make the durability deliberately less good. Now, whether they've got the fine control over that they should do is another question. But what we've seen over the past 
10, 12 years isn't Pirelli making the absolute best tyres they can and it not perhaps working as we hope. So they're, they're trying. But yeah, which direction to go? It'll probably come down to what the what the tender offers are and probably that commercial angle will be pretty big as well. Well, that was going to be a point I was going to put to both of you. You've outlined so many factors there that are going to decide this. Do Do any of us really think that who can produce the best tyre is going to be what decides who gets this this gig or is something else going to be more important than that and is that wrong i mean my personal opinion is at best it's the joint biggest priority at best i think the commercial factor is a big one and with the way f1 has set itself up with that 2030 um net zero target and the way that they've made that a you know a clear center point of where they want to go as a championship the sustainability thing is going to be massive as well so perhaps a slightly better way of phrasing that is i think a tire manufacturer with a slightly lesser quality of tire or confidence in their ability if it was just an out and out what's your level of tire you can produce i think if that was slightly less but the commercial terms and the sustainability plan were great i think that would i think that would play in their favor and that could actually favour Pirelli. I don't know what Bridgestone's proposition is, but I know what Pirelli do because we've been dealing with them continuously for the past 12, 13 years. And there are things Pirelli are doing. For example, they've been doing a lot of work recently on being able to remount tyres because generally, once you put the tyres on the wheel rim, particularly the wets, they're done. You can't take them off and put them back on. They're used whether they're used or not. So there's a sustainability element there, but they're getting pretty close to having, say, wet and intermediate tyres, that if we go to, I don't know, uh, Austria this weekend, there's no rain, you mount your wets and your inters just in case, you warm them up or whatever, and then you can pop them off and you can remount them again down the line. So they've been working on things like that. They've been working on the possible blanketless tyres. That's an FIA and F1 initiative. They've asked Pirelli to try and do that. Obviously, there's a lot of pushback from teams, but Pirelli is saying, okay, you want us to do that? We will try and do it. And of course, if it doesn't go through, Pirelli will probably get criticised for it, even though it wasn't their idea. <laughs> they're just they're just trying to do it. So yeah, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of things that will come into it and yeah it'd be naive to think the commercial proposition isn't going to be a big part of it and we don't know exactly what Bridgestone will offer where it would be interesting is if you have two very similar commercial propositions then it comes down to some of the the other things that you'll have to you'll have to ask and another thing they'll they'll wonder about is the commitment as well because Pirelli seems quite content just to keep tendering every time a tender's up yeah we'll go for it we'll keep going so you might think well the incumbent they've been pretty determined to stay in it maybe we stick with them i don't know lots of factors just to follow on from that there is one other factor that i think would play into pirelli's hands and it is basically what you just said but slightly differently is loyalty which is obviously slightly different than just you know rewarding that consistency or um thinking it's the easiest thing to do because they are the incumbent and they've got everything set up as i said i don't think there was a massive queue of tire suppliers that were like, yeah, no, we'll buy into this high-deg vision, make ourselves look like chumps. Like, I don't really think there were too many, yeah, in a line to to to, to build that tyre. Pirelli was, and then Pirelli continued to do it, even when they were getting absolutely ragged on by teams. And I'm sure that obviously they'll be getting a huge amount out of Formula 1, otherwise they wouldn't do it. They're not in it just for charity or to do F1 a favour. You know, they're not gluttons for punishment or anything like that. So there could well be a factor on the Pirelli side that is loyalty, where that just boosts their bid by an extra 5-10% of 
relevant value because it's it's basically just like well you stuck by us why don't why shouldn't why shouldn't we stick by you when push comes to shove, the devil is in the detail of this, isn't it? It will depend on their proposition. And it's very tempting because Bridgestone are a great company. They did a great job in Formula One before, so it's very tempting to say, let's see what they can do. But we should also remember that when Bridgestone were in Formula One, there were still a lot of complaints from drivers about tyres. They weren't quite as amplified because the way Formula One's covered has evolved a bit since then. But you always got drivers saying, oh, yeah, it was a bad batch of tyres or whatever. And you kind of think, well, they make the tyres... Graining. You always heard about graining, didn't you, with Bridgestone, yeah. when we came back to slicks, especially. Exactly, yeah. There was a there was a lot of graining. So that was one of the things. And they talk about the bad... that They'd be a bad set of tyres. And it's like, well, there's a, they make them in batches of 50-odd. I think Bridgestone did it. And so why is, why is that one weird? Because the, when it's external, when it's a single supplier it's so easy to blame isn't it because it's like why did you yeah, an easy apart? excuse yeah oh the tire supply because then you're not hanging anyone in the team out to dry so it's really really complicated and f1's got quite well the fia actually were the ones who made the decision i've got a lot to think about in terms of looking through these proposals and i'll be very interested to understand a bit more about the bridgestone proposal and then once they make the decision which should be fairly soon exactly what the rationale is for it Shout out to the quickfire pair of cliches that you started that answer with, Ed, where you said, um, when push comes to shove, the devil is in the detail. Yeah, the first one's a little bit noisy, but the devil is in the detail. I'll stand by that one. That one and the tyres connect the car to the ground. They're important. <laughs> Wisdom for the ages. Push comes to shove is just, uh, is just noise, isn't it? <laughs> Right, Glenn, we've been talking about Pirelli versus Bridgestone in a tyre tender capacity, but why not? a proper tyre war. So let's bring your expertise from Bring Back V10s because the last tyre war was 2001 to 2006 with Michelin and Bridgestone. They went head-to-head. That's an era that's covered all the time in uh, in Bring Back V10s. You know it well. So how big an impact did that tyre war have? Was it a positive influence on that era? And what did it tell us about the principle of tyre wars in F1? It had a massive impact. Uh, whether it was positive or not, uh, I think that's up for debate. I would say it probably was positive, but there are downsides. Um, one of the things I think people fear about a tyre war is if one of the tyre suppliers uh, gets a big advantage, whether that's through them doing a great job or one one doing a bad job. And the idea, especially now we've had a long time of everyone having the same tyres and tyres not really being a variable uh, between the teams, the idea of somebody... Uh, losing out because they're on the wrong tyres for maybe a race weekend or a season. People are a bit worried about that. And that did happen. You did you did get that fr- from, from race to race sometimes and certainly from season to season. One of the big reasons Ferrari's dominance came to an end uh, in 2005 after Michael Schumacher had won five championships in a row was because Bridgestone got caught out by a tyre rule change and were just hopeless all year. Um, so... At the time, that seemed good for F1 because something stopped Ferrari's dominance and we got a new champion in Fernando Alonso and Renault on Michelin's. Um, but I wonder how that would be received now. Imagine, for example, that the closest comparison you could have now is if we get a tyre war, Red Bull is on different a different supplier to all of its main rivals and that supplier completely drops the ball and suddenly Max Verstappen's scrambling around in the bottom half of the top 10. Can you imagine how badly that would go down with Red Bull, with the Verstappen camp, and then then the fan base as well? So there are risks, but the positive, when it works well, I actually think the last season we had of it in 2006 was an example of when it worked well, because Bridgestone and Michelin were right at it. They were both 
producing good tyres. Yes, there was a tiny bit of ebb and flow from weekend to weekend. It could be based on conditions. It could be based on the circuit. But they were close enough that it was an interesting fight. And you, you really felt like it was, it was an extra dimension. So you, you had... Uh, the two teams at the front of the championship, you had the two teams, Renault and Ferrari, going at it. You had Alonso versus Schumacher. Uh, you had two different engine suppliers, obviously. Uh, and you had two tyre companies giving it everything as well. So it just, it just felt like this relentless championship battle where there was so much on the line for so many stakeholders. Then, to give perhaps one more negative example... It's still believed to this day that the end of the 2003 championship was dictated by a rule change late on that favoured Bridgestone when Bridgestone complained about Michelin's tyres potentially being illegal. Michelin kind of got their wings clipped and then suddenly Michael Schumacher rattled off some wins and, and claimed a championship that didn't look like he was going to win. So you also have the political element. We know any part of F1 where there's competition, there's there's wranglings, there's things going on behind the scenes, there's disagreements, there's there's... Um, you know, there, there's hard, people are pushing, pushing for an advantage or pushing to stop a rival getting an advantage. So you do have that as well. So if you're going to have a tyre war, yes, you get more competition and lots of interesting things, but you've got to be prepared, I think, for a big dose of politics as well. I do enjoy when um, the, the subject of a new tyre supplier crops up in Formula One or there's any conversation about the long-term plan for tyres in F1 because it always means there will be calls for a, ret a return to the to the tyre war. And the, the way I'll frame it when we come to this part is I don't really want to see tyre war so much as just tyre competition and tyre variety. But what I think, this is just a, my own theory about why I think everyone not everyone, a lot of people clamour for a tyre war and it's kind of just almost like a, it's almost a cliche in itself because it's kind of that go-to answer of, well, what could F1 bring back? And it's either refuelling or a tyre war. Um, and I wonder if it's a little bit of a case of correlation and causation because I know my personal memories just because of the age that I'm at, the sort of late 90s, early noughties in particular are some of my favourite memories of F1 and I'm sure, I think we did a we did a poll on the YouTube channel, didn't we, Glenn, um, fairly recently about what, what favourite era everybody had. And the 2000s were either the favourite or the second favourite. So that ranked quite highly, didn't it? Um, yeah, it was 21st century decades were people's favourites, which probably reflects a little bit the age of the audience as well. Yeah. But yeah, it shows that people who did see it look back on it fondly. Yeah, and I just wonder if that's because... So the 2000s mark the favourite era or a really popular era of F1 for a lot of fans. And I wonder if the Bridgestone-Michelin rivalry and therefore the concept of a tyre war has almost subconsciously become associated with the best years of, of F1. Um, because just to play devil's advocate against the idea of having it now, you know, it's not in its purest form, a tyre war isn't fit for modern F1's ambitions. Um, the sporting side, it's one less variable in the mix that could, as Glenn was explaining, potentially help some teams and screw some others. Um, it's the a, a sole tyre supply is the easiest route in the name of financial and environmental sustainability. It's easiest to cap development, testing, technology expenses, logistics are easier to manage. And... A, a phrase that this might this might have existed in the day, in the previous days of sole tire suppliers, but one of my least favourite phrases in modern F one is target letter. Like I, there I, there is no other walk of life where you would hear something described as like that for what you want your tires to do. 
in F1. It's up there with rules of engagement. Yeah, me. yeah, exactly. It's a really F1 phrase, but to just sort of take it on the chin and say it, defining a target letter is simpler if you've got a sole tyre supplier because you don't have any potential for conflict with another party. If one objective is to sacrifice outright tyre performance to hit that sweet spot of degradation, then if you've got two tyre suppliers, one of them could just go, oh, well, sod that. Like, we want to make our tyres as good as possible. And then all of a sudden, they not only do they screw over the objective of better racing through this high degradation, they then also mug off the other tyre supplier by going against that, that target letter. So all of these are re- reasons in favour of being against um, a tyre war. I think it fits modern F1 from that point of view, from simplicity. But I do think there's almost a kind of bizarre romantic notion amongst some fans that it is just something that F1 really needs to consider. Yeah, you can't have a target letter if you've got competition. Um, that that would be nonsense. I mean, you said, you know, ha- you were trying to... You didn't want to speak for everyone, but how can we quantify how many people want it back? We we have run a poll uh, late last week on the race's YouTube channel uh, where we said, what should F1 do about its tyre supplier um, for 2025? The options uh, were stick with Pirelli, go to Bridgestone. We added Michelin in there for fun. Uh, Tire war or don't care. Um, (laughs) And tire war got 62% of the vote. And the next best was uh, Pirelli with 16. And and as I look at that now, as we record, that's off of 125,000 votes. So quite a good sample set. Yeah, that's decent. Yeah, but what I found fascinating was you've then got, at the moment, over 800 comments on that post. Many of those are people saying what's wrong with a tyre war or what's bad with a tyre war and pointing out the things that, the downsides of it that we've kind of discussed already. And yeah, I think that's where I get the idea that people kind of fear the idea of a team or a driver being caught out by being on the wrong tyres, having the wrong tyre supply for a season when uh, it's it's not really their fault. I'm going to do that really internet thing now and declare that that's just the vocal minority speaking up because they go against what I think and therefore I'm going to find a way to just dismiss it without taking their opinions seriously. (laughs) It's one of those things that's entirely unpredictable, ultimately. You can talk about what the potential effects are, but if we had a scenario where, let's say, Red Bull's on Engelbert tyres this year and they're absolutely brilliant and they're better than everyone else, then they're two seconds up the road of everyone else. But if they're on Engelbert tyres that are worse than the Continentals that the Ferraris and the Mercedes are on, then it levels things up and it's great. So it's it has potential to create variables and it's great in many ways because variables can create good racing, especially if you can create those variables on a rolling basis throughout the race, by which I mean having a situation where the fastest car is not necessarily the fastest car across a wide range of conditions. So things can ebb and flow. That's the kind of fantasy possibility. But there's always the opportunity for these things to happen. There's the opportunity for there to be favoured teams because even if you have things like we've got the mandated weight distribution, so there's a limit to what you can do there. As we saw with Ferrari and Bridgestone, you can always have a favoured partner team and then the rest sort of get the the characteristics that they've got and they're they're not the, the primary team. So there's risks and opportunities there. I think the fundamental thing is as you alluded to, Glenn, you can't really have a target letter for a tyre war, so it's completely uncontrollable. And, and what we saw in that Bridgestone uh, Michelin tyre war, I think was a really good tyre war because they both had periods in the ascendancy. It was it was a really, really sharp, effective, interesting tyre war. 
I think that's at the upper end of how well it works. That's the thing. So you have to accept if you have a tyre war, you can have any number of outcomes. You could have that or you could have Goodyear versus Pirelli and the only time Pirelli can win is when it's 200 degrees at the French Grand Prix and uh, and Nelson Piquet can win in his Brabham. Good at pre-qualifying as well. I thought you'd mention that. Uh, yeah, I, I do I do worry that Pirelli wouldn't have the the stomach for a for a tyre war. I think they they're much happier being the supplier everyone's on your tyres you get lots of branding around the track it would be I know we're going to come to this later in the episode it would potentially be quite scary for them even if something is done to try and control the costs but when there's competition if if, if you've got one supplier that's more invested in that competition than the other and that's what we had with that Goodyear Pirelli uh, war well, you can't call it a war that we had uh, at the beginning of the, the bring back V10s era it's not really a competition. Then you end up just, a, it's another step towards a two-tier F1. So I don't think we want that. Scott mentioned earlier, I just want to pick up one thing Scott said. He said about having refueling in the 2000s and do people look back on that fondly if that's an era they're fond of. I found a comment from Kimi Raikkonen, I think in 2012 or 2013. So when he's back with Lotus and Pirelli were getting absolutely hammered in those early years. And Kimi said, he said, he doesn't think the tyres are too bad and he didn't think they were any worse than what we had from Bridgestone and Michelin in the tyre war era. He said that Pirelli's misfortune was coming in uh, when when there was no refuelling. So the cars are so much heavier and the demands on the tyres are completely different. And Kimi said, if we brought back refuelling, this was so 10 years ago, uh, he said Pirelli's tyres would be fine and they wouldn't fall apart because the, the physical demands on them um, would be less and as we talk more and more about how heavy these cars are now how 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 great the forces are of how much downforce they have i've never been a fan of refueling i was delighted when it went away i never wanted it to come in i didn't like the fact that people just sat behind someone and waited for the for the fuel stops to to jump them i do kind of wonder if pirelli tires and drs plus refueling would be an okay mix and it might be our only route ever back to slightly lighter more nimble cars so i may just be warming up to the idea and and that would obviously that would change the tire conundrum to a massive degree because yeah it's 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 getting harder and harder for f1's tire supplier whoever it is to to generate performance to stick to this awful target letter and to put up with f1 cars that are just becoming more and more beastly all the time and I think what you've alluded to there is it's a very complicated equation because it's not just tyres, it's tyres plus refuelling, it's tyres plus refuelling plus aero regulations plus this, you know, there's so many factors and of course we're also moving into a time when they want the hybrid element to be the key competition part of the of the engine, so like your electrical power is your key fuel, not your conventional fuel that you put in the car, but then they're bringing in synthetic, uh, they're bringing in sustainable fuel, hopefully synthetic sustainable fuel down the line, so it, it's a very complicated mix where everything impacts another and i think it's this question f1's been grappling with for a long time now probably about 20 years f1's been in this just existential crisis where it's trying to understand what it is what it needs to be how it can make sure it's in the right direction and you can actually make pretty sound cases for a tyre war and against it. I don't think there's an overwhelming answer either way. What has to be done is you decide what route you take, you lay out your reasons, and then you live with it. Because we're all guilty, I guess, of saying, well, if we do this, this is the best possible outcome, and this is what will happen. So a tyre war 
can be brilliant. It can be absolutely fantastic. It can also be terrible. On average, it'll probably somewhere between the two. But yeah, it's 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 a very uh, it'll be a very risky step for F one. But at the same time, to come back to my favourite cliche, there's a big part to which the tires do attach the cars to the ground, so they're so crucial. And there's this push in F one to make the differentiation between non-competition and competition parts so to come back to the 26 engines they're trying to make the conventional bit of the engine almost a non-competition part that's all quite even for everyone and it's the hybrid that's the key performance differentiator well tires are always going to be a big performance differentiator i think the thing we always have to cast out is the idea that they're ever going to be completely neutral because the way f1 teams work they're pushing the tires to the nth degree they're really refining how they do it you know is referred to earlier you don't just put on a set of tires and bat along until they wear out now but there was a time where you would do that in f1 because you didn't really understand enough about the track surface and the way the tires behave etc etc you just had to kind of see what happened whereas this is what f1 does across the board it works out and that's why we get these efficiency races because they can control and manage all that kind of things so that it is so 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 complicated i think yeah, history tells us with tyre wars you have to be very, very careful. Let's put it that way. But uh, there's a few ways perhaps things can be done, which we'll get onto in a moment. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Right, Scott, we talked about the challenges of the tyre war and the conundrum of the tyre supply decisions. So, obviously, as we've alluded to, F1 has changed dramatically since that last tyre war. We're locked in for a control supply for 2025 until at least 27. Is there a way for F1 to consider bringing back tyre competition for the cost-capped limited testing era? How could it work? So I just I think that it's a time we're now at a time where F1 needs to seriously explore whether or not it's a newfound love of budget caps and good regulation of cost control and finding a good balance between cost and competition should be ex- extended to the tyre supply because F1 has shown itself open to significant regulatory change in recent years on the sporting, technical and of course now since 21, the the financial regulatory side. So I think it at least opens the door to asking whether tyre, and I'm going to use what I said earlier, competition is achievable again. I don't want an all-out war. I think it goes against a lot of the things that are good for Formula 1 and it just wouldn't be viable. Um, So... The way I'd say it is that it's appropriate to explore the possibility for that variety of of supplier, but it has to be in a responsible way that does further 
what F1 wants to achieve on sporting interest, cost management, and again, sustainability. And it's the, the sustainability side I personally think has the kind of weakest argument. Um, basically, I'll start just specifically with sporting and finances because otherwise I could talk for 10 minutes and no one really wants that. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say on these specific areas. So for, just firstly, on financial control. We, we've got that for the first time with team spending and power unit manufacturers as well. Shouldn't forget that. It goes beyond just one key variable. So I, I see it as tyre supplier spending being managed in much the same way the budget caps imposed on, on teams. And also the number of test days would naturally remain restricted as is the case now. And to avoid nine teams going with tyre manufacturer X and one team being stuffed with one with manufacturer Y, F1 could take a leaf from the engine supply rules where you have one tyre supplier that's not allowed to supply more than X teams on the grid. And taking further inspiration from the engine side, implement a fixed cost for teams to pay for their tyre supply and or weave it into the budget cap. So you can't just have people spending a load of money to get the best tyre supplier and you can't then have a team team spending a load of money to get that manufacturer to develop the best tyre possible. I understand that there are still going to be some sporting elements within this, like the possibility of a tyre manufacturer cozying up with one team in particular, but in terms of like the base elements of what it would, what it would cost, and that being the biggest threat that a tyre war brings, just spending running out of control, I think that those baseline areas of regulation would at least be a, the framework for a route into into managing this in a cost efficient way. I think that's I think that sounds workable. I think it, because because it's being done elsewhere. If, if we didn't have any of this stuff, if F one hadn't thought like this already, I would say that's that's a big ask. But right now, I don't see why not. And the biggest the biggest cost to the teams previously was the testing the on-track testing they were testing all the time between every race Ferrari were out at Fiorano every day running Bridgestones until it got dark uh, that that's not that's not going to to exist anymore so that big cost is immediately eliminated and then yeah if you can find ways to control what the tyre suppliers can spend on all their work they're doing in just general development why, why can't it work? Because then if the tyre suppliers are coming in going, okay, you've got competition, but you know your costs aren't going to spiral above X, then they, they yeah, they're not going to be, they're not going to be caught out. There's obviously an issue, again, if, if somebody gets it wrong and there's a big advantage for someone, the other one can't necessarily spend their way out of trouble to, to catch up. But, you know, we, we have that with other things. Mercedes and Ferrari, in many ways, can't spend their way out of the trouble they're in on the chassis and aero side at the moment. So we've got that anyway. All right, so I think, I think why not? I, th I think it's, it's, it's interesting. It, sh it, it should and it could be explored. And I'd, yeah, I'd be interested, as you said, Scott, if we're doing it for the teams, we're doing it for the engine manufacturers, why couldn't we do it for the tyres as well? I almost feel that if you want to have a modern F1 tyre war, you need to do something fairly extreme with the parameters for example do you go back to the dreaded 2005 rule of one set of tires per race that kind of thing to make a dramatic slash in the number of tires that are being used that would fit in with the sustainability objectives and create quite a nice interesting storyline for formula one you know they weren't going slowly in those 2005 races let's be honest now i like those that rules. takes off the table that strategic element but if you've got cars that are raceable and a good close pack then 
maybe it works, especially if you've got tyre suppliers with different characteristics that are strong at different points, etc. So that's a possibility. I'd, I'd be wary with the outline that Scott set out, which I think is quite a logical one. I would be wary about tyre supplier dominance, and I think that would create a lot of complaining because people would just, in that scenario, say, well, this bunch of teams is just doomed just as they could be if they've got a, a low performance engine should we say but they they've tried to make it so the power unit packages are, are relatively uh well balanced so th- there's difficulties i think the the key is with anything like this is if it's done is to be gone in with eyes open f1 has an annoying habit of any change declaring this is going to be brilliant and perfect and you're all going to love it and as they learn with the sprint races introducing sprint races and relentlessly telling everyone how brilliant they are and then when they turn out to sort of be quite fun but they're not kind of you know billion overtakes a race that creates a pushback because you've said have they learned that lesson though because as far as i can tell the messaging is still sprint races are brilliant and you will all love them yeah that that's pretty much the way f1 does things so there's again it connects to all these other things of what you're trying to achieve i can see a strong argument for tire competition and for a single tire supplier it's it's actually quite a 50 50 one the the one thing i would say about um the way f1 goes about experimenting now is that you could argue that the the flip side is true and that for too long F1 was terrified of experiments and even trying for change and we have seen a clear shift in that over the last two or three years which is what I think opens the door for this to be explored because what I'm my, I think the thing I would say my number one caveat with everything I say about this and have and have said about it already is I don't know if this works or not I don't know if it is a sensible framework or if there's a really obvious reason why it would fall down at the first hurdle but I just think we're at a point where there's no reason for it not to be explored when we've looked everything else and like I said earlier on in the podcast just to say it again now in case people have understandably forgotten it because I ramble a lot I think it should be twinned with a broader sporting change on how we use the tyres. It does Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be quite as aggressive as what you've suggested there, Ed, in terms of going back to the 05 rule. But like I said, if you if you twinned it with half the number of compounds that are available in the, in the range and just have a season-long soft, medium and hard tyre, mandate the use of those in the races and then it's down to those suppliers to work out how they want to balance that and how they balance it over the course of the season because I know they're not the same thing but you mentioned there that you can have difference in quality of engine but we allow for things like the engine supply to be different we allow for things like the fuel and oil supply to be different and when the uh when the combustion requirements of the engines changed in 2022 speaking to several of not just the engine manufacturers but also the 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 oil suppliers involved they were making it so clear how big a challenge that was to get ready for the the new thing and this was going to be part of uh an engine freeze that then lasted to the end of 25 what if one of the oil suppliers could not get the 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 right combustion technology to match the fuels that were then being used in in that period and suddenly one any of the people that are using that supplier has a 30 brake horsepower disadvantage locked in i'm not saying that was incre- particularly likely but it was possible so we allow 
we allow for a degree of competitive swing based on other variables outside of the team's direct control. And I know that it's not the same because I know that there are differences between a team working directly with a fuel or oil supplier or an engine partner versus the tyre. But if you had three teams per supplier, because let's say in a dream world we've got Pirelli, Bridgestone and Michelin all involved in a tyre supply, and you've got a nice mix of three or four teams per tyre supplier because those are the rules, just like it works on the engine side, uh, those teams are buddying up. You're going to have the two Red Bull teams plus one with one tyre supplier. You're going to have the three Ferrari engine teams with one supplier. And you're probably going to have the Merck engine teams with one tyre supplier. Because if you're taking, for example, your Haas and you're taking the Ferrari rear suspension and Ferrari's using a certain tyre, you're going to want the same tyre, aren't you? Because it's going to marry up like that. So we allow for this entire universe to exist whereby all of these variables influence a team's competitive element. I would argue, even though it is very significant because those four tyres are the only thing attached to the road surface, the tyres are an incredibly significant part and you shouldn't take it lightly, but I think it should be explored. I'd like it to be looked at properly and embraced as a potential option just to find out for certain or as certain as we can be what the pros and cons are. Yeah, certainly looked at. I think the one thing I would add to what you said there is we are at a time where the prevailing conditions, the prevailing demands from fans, etc., is to try and close up the competitive order. Now, I'm actually quite happy with having more variables, which brings the risk of things being further spread out. But I also know that I'm probably in a minority in that. So I have to be quite aware of that. I also think on the point of F1 experimenting with things, well, yes and no, because take the sprint races. Yeah, they've tried them, but they have bent over backwards to make them as insignificant a change as they possibly can. They've so even, watered they've down, even rolled back this year, which is the thing I don't like about the sprints this year. They've disconnected them from the rest of the race weekend. And I don't necessarily think that's F1's fault. I think that's more the teams that are engineering that conservatism in. So I want to be convinced that F1 is as a whole i don't i don't literally mean sort of fom and liberty i mean the whole entity of all the stakeholders in f1 that they're open to really looking at this stuff properly because whenever anything's going to change there's a massive massive pushback we have at the moment uh we're waiting for it because it was meant to happen at imola and it didn't we've got what i think is a really significant qualifying format experiment that's going to happen or was meant to happen twice this season, where you're mandated to use the hards, then the mediums, then the softs in the free qualifying segments. That's that's a really significant thing to just lob into one or two race weekends over the course of the year. So, okay, it's not a tyre war, but on the tyre side, I would love it if F1 agreed that next year it would be a worthwhile trial for let's pick two events, and those two events you trial your mandated use of all three compounds in the races. Because... It goes beyond, and, and I completely agree with you on the sprint race thing, I, I, I agree completely, it's very watered down and they've just had to accept a massive reduction in what they wanted to try and get an experiment through. But they've shown in a different way, this qualifying thing way, that they're willing to try something different in an actual competitive session that goes against the way it works on, an, on a normal weekend and the majority of weekends. So I'm... I'd look at that glass half full and think that's my way into seeing whether we could do it because that's the only way I think you're going to convince drivers, teams and fans and all the stakeholders that it's worth properly going for is if you got a live trial and saw it work in action. And if it doesn't work, we have our answer. Yeah, certainly trying the all three compounds for a few races would make a, a lot of sense. And actually, I think what you mentioned about the Imola experiment, I think Hungary will see that one uh, trialed. 
it was actually done for tyre reasons. It's an experiment to see if Pirelli could knock a couple of tyre sets off each car's allocation. That's the reason that they've done it. It's not a kind of, this will make qualifying more interesting. It might make, it will have an impact on qualifying. But that kind of comes back to my whole thing about, well, do you actually say that we have a tyre war, but you're only allowed one set of tyres a day, let's say. Something like that. That would be pretty remarkable. And actually... It's one of the, the fundamental tensions, isn't it, in terms of production. You know, tyre companies exist to sell tyres. And there's countless tyres being used by motorsport every weekend. And it's not really in the tyre supplier's interest to create tyres that last forever, is it? I know, you know, the laws of physics mean that it's not that simple. I don't think they're all sitting on magical tyres that would last forever and they're not letting us have them. But I think that would fundamentally shift things if you could get some tire suppliers to really commit to that let's just say one one tire a day as a starting point and see where we where we can go from there because currently there's a there's an awful lot and obviously it it would create an interesting i think storyline for the wider world what a great sustainability story that would be it's like look we were taking all of these around the world you know this pirelli experiment with the uh with the qualifying format knocks two tires out two sets of tires out well this one will knock out you know kind of 10 sets of tires per car per weekend which is a a seismic change plus you've also got all the freight etc etc the manufacturing so i think if you do go down the tire wall route that's why i think it needs to be connected to the sustainability thing that also comes with big risks as well and in fact that increases the chances of having a bigger fluctuation between tire supplies if you have something so extreme by its very nature so yeah it's a tricky one has anyone decided what are we going to do? What's what's everybody's final verdict? Come on, Glenn, you can be the person who decides. You can have tyre war or no tyre war, and we'll allow a small uh, a small outline of uh, uh, of why. Stefano Glenacarli, you're up. Hey, do I have to talk in a, as jumbled as he does, so nobody knows exactly what I really meant? Um, yeah, I would go. I would go for the Scott Mitchell target. Scott Mitchell mom target letter. Um, uh, yeah, I want to see cost-controlled, resource-controlled tyre competition, not a tyre war. Uh, and I do, I do want to see, yeah, minimise the number of compounds they can produce. Yeah, let's just have a soft, medium and a hard. Let's give them the opportunity. Let's have all of those tyres tried uh, in, in a race where you've got to run them all. I think that's the, the Kareem Chanduk uh, target letter. Let's have that as well. Uh, yeah, I want to see all of that. And I, I think... But I wouldn't wait until we have competition to to try that last bit because we've got we've got so many races now and it's such a minor change. It's not you know we're not talking about oh let's reverse the grids let's let's completely mess up qualifying let's do something crazy with the race. It's let's take a bunch of tires that are already in the garage and just make you use an extra set of them and 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 see see what happens. So yeah, I, I'm. I'm aware of the drawbacks, but I'm I'm well up for for trying it. Is that just because I want to see change because it's been a while? I'm not sure, but also the podcast is about to come to an end, so I don't think I have to justify that. <laughs> I would say my my conclusion would be uh, I would be, and I wrote this last weekend, I would be satisfied with seeing Pirelli retained as the sole tyre supplier for the in the interim. I would task Pirelli and F1 with working out how to trial your uh, all three tyre compounds in a race, your reduced 
range of tyres and I would maybe implement the edge draw target letter of slashing the number of tyres that can be used over a weekend per day, see if Pirelli can make that work, if there is a net gain for Formula 1 and then draw your conclusion on whether you need tyre competition on top of that based on how Pirelli handles that 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 those combination of target letters over the next three years. It's a target book now, isn't it? Every page tells them to do something <laughs> it's different. It's a pamphlet at this stage, but if it worked, we can talk about you know publishing rights. I think one thing we do know is that if you have a tyre war, objectives in target letters can be more easily achieved because there's greater incentive to, let's put it that way. But of course, to do that, you need all of your testing and your resources, etc., etc. If tyre companies want to sink absurd amounts of money into Formula One, then that's probably not a bad thing. Um, so I'm sort of... I'm going to be a little bit on the fence with this no, one. Th- no, you've I, got I, to pick one. In that I would like a tyre war scenario to be very seriously evaluated with a view to potentially bring it in. And I would like it to be a fairly extreme sustainability approach. If, you know, Formula One is very, very good at doing the seemingly impossible. Because everyone thinks, oh, well, if you just have one set of tyres, it'll be extreme tyre management, this, that and the other, it'll be really slow. Well, do you know what? It won't be. It's a bit <laughs> like James Allison was talking about the, the weight, bringing the weight down in Formula 1. He just said, well, just put the minimum weight down and then teams will have something to shoot for and amazingly they'll They'll, they'll find a there. way. Exactly. That's what Formula 1's really good at and I think that fear of, oh, this is really difficult, is not very F1. That, for me, is at the centre of F1. It's like, let's do something, do you know what, that's really difficult. Let's have tyres you can push on through a race that have a, a nice, sensible performance profile that you have one set for the whole Grand Prix, one set a day or whatever. And do you know what? You might find that something pretty remarkable can happen. I think that's the kind of pathway I'd like to look down. You would need to speak to tyre companies to say, right, well, actually, could this work for you commercially? Do you think it's achievable technically? Would you like to do this? I would have thought that in this sustainability-driven world, quite rightly sustainability-driven world, if you're a tyre company and you can say, right, we're supplying the highest performance tyres in the world to the quickest racing cars, and you know what? They can do a Grand Prix on one set of tyres. They'd use three sets of tyres a weekend. What a story that would be. And I, that's that for me is the thing that I think makes a tyre war quite enticing. That's the sort of thing where it could work. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want a tyre war with today's tyre regulations and objectives let's put it that way but yeah that one appeals to me so that's my it's slightly fence sitting but i think there's a i think there's a decisive position at the end of it so uh let's get on with that i think by your standards that wasn't particularly right, well, fence sitting i must say I, I had i had far lower expectations for that answer I, I, there, there were there were definite and clear opinions in there yeah so i i, I approve of that answer you've done yourself down ed well the world's not very good for yes no answers is it it has to be a bit yes but no but so hopefully i've got a bit of a direction you are you are you i bet you're rubbish at twitter well anyone who follows my twitter feed which is mostly the occasional retweet will know that i'm not especially prolific i quite like i bring back v10's twitter community though i haven't said anything of that for a bit but i need yeah to- i actually can vouch for that that is your favorite thing about social media <laughs> it's just very very nice it's just a pleasant group of people all enjoying things really really like it that's what i like to see social media has too much anger on it but yeah that sort of thing that's what it's for some nice positive uh, chats but anyway thank you glenn and scott for your insight head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there on goings on in the world of formula one check out our other podcasts including bring back v10 starring glenn freeman new season of that coming up very very shortly indycar podcast we do MotoGP formula e as well and also have a look at our youtube channel Well, we've got a bit of a break before the Austrian Grand Prix, but stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. 
The Athletic.